following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verses uh, 6 and 7 real quick. Uh, we've been in uh, this series called Emmanuel. We're talking about how Jesus became God, how he dwelled among us. That's what Emmanuel means. We're looking at the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a major prophet. There's a difference between major prophets and minor prophets just in the span of how big their books are. I don't know if you've been to church a lot. Maybe this is your first Sunday. You don't go to church a whole lot. Um, but you get into the Old Testament, which is just before Christ came. The New Testament is after Jesus Christ came. And in the Old Testament, you have five first books, which we call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, or the law. The law is essentially just the way that God told people how they should conduct themselves. And you know what? Just like you and I do, they fell short, right? They didn't do uh, what God wanted them to do. And so you get after those five books into this history of the Jews, which were God's people, and it's a record of what happens. Either they do what God wants them to do, or they don't do what God wants them to do. And we have all these stories and these illustrations that are applicable to us. So the Old Testament's just as applicable to us today as it was to them uh, back then. Then you have some wisdom books, and there's even a book on sex, okay? You gotta, you gotta be careful how you say it, because there's little kids that are around or whatever. People get nervous when you talk about that in church too, right? <clears throat> all right. And then there's the wisdom literature, which talks just about how to be smart, things like Proverbs and Psalms. And then you get into the prophets, and the prophets speak about what's going to happen in the end times, and they talk about Jesus or Emmanuel. We looked at Isaiah chapter 7 two weeks ago. Last week we looked at Isaiah 11, and then we're going to bounce back in Isaiah chapter 9 because it's interesting because he kind of summarizes two things that he already says. I'm going to give you four things about Jesus this morning that I want you to just contemplate this week as you get ready to celebrate Christmas. <clears throat> in the Bible, we have a couple of um, examples of how things had changed in regards to a name. I want you to just think about this for a minute. What does your name mean? Some of you might know that. Maybe it has a significance to it. Uh, I thought about uh, my two kids who are standing up here. Kareen is my oldest, and she is named after her grandma, actually Bethany's grandma, um, great-grandma. He'd be her great-grandma. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Had to think about that for a second. Um, and then uh, Gianna, she's Italian. <laughs> and her name just means grace. In the Old Testament, um, when they were given a name or the name was changed, it was a change of direction. That's what happens here in the text when Jesus comes to us. Essentially, God is changing direction. You have in the Old Testament, he's telling people what to do, and they're not getting it. And so Jesus comes to us. We call that the first advent. And when he comes to us, he has compassion on us, and he shows us how we are to live. He says, hey, you're not going to get it if I'm up here. But man, if I come down and I dwell with you, maybe you'll understand it. And when we understand it, we realize that Jesus came and had compassion upon us. John three seventeen, as the little kids said, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save it. And so this season is a remembrance of the fact that Jesus came to save the world by dying on the cross and raising again and ruling and reigning to this day. Second Advent means that he will come back 
again. And so you get into Isaiah and you realize that there's some characteristics of Jesus that are applicable for those people who are in turmoil and for us people today who are experiencing turmoil as well. Everybody's got a situation or a circumstance that they feel is out of control, and God meets us in all of those spots. Look at Isaiah chapter <clears throat> 9, and we're going to look at verse, uh, like I said, 6 and 7. Let me read those to you. <clears throat> For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Maybe you've heard the song. That's where it came from. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace. And then he says in verse 7, of the incense of, or the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Uh, and the later passages say his dominion goes on forever and ever. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me pray for us before I start. Father God, thank you so much for this season and what it means that it's not just a season we look at as an opportunity for us to get, but it's an opportunity for us to give. And we are to give our worship to you because you came to us. You didn't just dwell or choose to dwell far from us. You sent your son who dwelled among us, who had compassion on us, who gave us the opportunity to know you personally when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you alone are Lord. We thank you for the gift of Jesus and what it means, and how many implications it, it has in our life. We pray, God, that as we look at the four characteristics of Jesus this morning, we would remember them all week in preparation for Christmas Day. That this is a season for us to remember that you came first and foremost, but secondly, you will come again. We long for that. We anticipate that with great um, joy, because we know that you will come and redeem your people. And God, we pray that you would come soon. We know that you love us and you care for us and you have compassion on us. I pray that the people who don't believe that even here this morning would because of your words. It's in your name, in your name alone that we pray. Amen. If you have a slip, I'm going to give you four things. Here we go. I'm going to give it to you. Actually, I'm going to give you, yeah, let me give, it says five, but I'm going to give you four. All right, I'm going to give you four. <clears throat> Number one, first thing he says in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, he says he will be a child. He will be a child. A child will be born. Jesus will come as a child. Why does Jesus have to come to us as a child? Maybe you understand that. Maybe you don't. Here's why Jesus had to come as a child. If Jesus would have come just as a God, if he would have come just as kind of this um, form that we uh, didn't really know, something that wasn't like us, we couldn't really truly resonate with him, could we? I mean, if we looked at, at Jesus and he didn't have like human traits or a human form, he would be too far from us. But if Jesus came and he was just like us, if he was just like a, a one of our children, then he would be too much like us. And so as, as Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 6, he says, for a child is born and a son is given, you could circle two words there. You could circle child and you could circle born. Jesus comes from the Virgin Mary to show us that he is a human, 100%, but he is also God, 100%. One that we could look to and relate to, but at the same time adore and reverently fear or have a proper respect for. That's why Jesus came in the form of a child, so that we would understand him or be like him, but at the same time have a reverent fear for him, a respect for him. The fact that he came and chose to dwell among us. That child is born. You know the song, right? 
What child is this? And on Mary's lap is sleeping. When you see those shepherds, and it was funny, I was watching those shepherds, I actually took a photo of it, because that's what it's like a lot of times when I start to preach. Like people sleep in the, in the, pu- in the, in the whatever you want to call it, the aisles or whatever. Uh, I'm going to use that later on down the road. But he says, what child is this? When these shepherds come to worship, they understood that concept. That this was a child that would be like us, that we would be able to relate to, but at the same time, he would be totally different than us. We would reverently fear him. Because why? He would rule among us. Well, we've already talked about that in the book of Isaiah. Because the people in Isaiah's time desperately wanted a king who was going to come and was going to do amazing things for them. They were living in times of oppression. The people had turmoil within their cities. They were at civil war with one another. And they asked God, why are these things happening? Where are you? And he says, I'm right there amongst your midst. And I will be with you. I will dwell among you. I will restore all things. I will make all things, what he says, new. And you will have a reverent respect for me because I will be the king of kings. I will be the king that rules forever, for an eternity. I'll be the righteous one, he says. And so in Isaiah, when it says a child is born, we realize that that baby, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, changes everything. And those of you that have kids know that, right? That your child changed everything. What you once knew is now completely different. Those of you who don't have kids and you're about to have kids, just take notes from us who do. Baby changes everything. Jesus, King Jesus, will change everything. This child that is born to you, you will look to him as a child first. But when he comes again, he will be a righteous king, fully matured, ready to take over. And so this Christmas season, let me ask you just one simple question. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just the baby that is still laying in the manger that you look at and say, this is good for us because now we can celebrate Christmas and we can exchange gifts? You look at that little kid still in the manger, or do you see him coming in the clouds, like it says in Revelation, ready to restore his people back to himself? Because when I was a child, I thought Christmas was all about remembering Jesus, but now the older I get, the more I realize that this season is really about remembering that Jesus not only came, but he will come again. And so when I look to the tree or I look to the church or I look to what's going on in this season, it makes me understand and long for that anticipation when the child will be mature and will righteously rule and reign over us. And we'll welcome that, those who have called Christ King, Messiah, Savior. He says, so for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the firstborn son who's going to rule and reign. And then the second thing, watch this, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And some of you look at that and you go, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, from the last political season, right? So the second thing is he will rule. He will rule rightly. He will rule justly. Will he be a Republican or a Democrat? No, he will be Jesus, right? And for some of you, that's a wave of relief. Amen? <laughs> you look at it and go, so he's a libertarian. No, he's not. He's Jesus. Okay, He doesn't have a party except for himself. Now watch what he says here. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 9. He says, the government will be upon his shoulders. What does that mean? Essentially, when Jesus comes back for the second time, he will rule over two things. The first thing that Jesus will rule over will be his people. Remember, look in Isaiah, and Isaiah and the people in Isaiah's time were longing for a king to rule over them. They're in a civil war. God's people are fighting amongst one another. Because there's so much turmoil, they're looking at it like, will somebody come just kind of sort out this mess? 
They're longing for a king. And the funny thing was they asked for a king. This cracks me up about the Jewish people as they say, hey, God, we know that you're God and that you're great and you're the living God and you do wonderful things. But is there any way that you could bring like a king to us? We think that somebody who's like us would do a better job than you would do. You've never done that to God, have you? He says, if you could just bring somebody to us, and God says, listen, I don't think you want that. It's not going to be good for you. He says, because I'm, I'm the living God. I'm better than all the other, you know, people that are in your presence. He says, nah, let's do it. So he gives them over to their own devices. And he gives them a king. He gets Saul. Man, Saul's a bad king. And David comes after him, and David makes mistakes. And then you see in the book of Chronicles, all these good kings, bad kings, doing what God wants them to do, doesn't want them to do that. They're in chaos. And finally, they look to God and say, would you come back? <laughs> And God being the good God, what does he do? He comes back. In what form? He comes back in the form of Jesus. One who will rule or have governmental rule over his people. Who are his people? Those who have confessed and believed that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Have you done that? Have you made that decision? Because the second thing is, God won't just come again to rule over his people. He will come to rule and reign over the whole entire world. That means he will judge those who have rejected him. Every one of us makes a decision of either if we want to follow Jesus or we want to reject Jesus. Have you followed Jesus Christ in regards to giving him your life? Confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that he will one day rule and reign? By giving him authority over all things and saying, God, would you do a good work in me? Because by myself, left to my own devices, I always fail. But in the arms of Jesus, I'm strong. He gives me things that are well beyond what I deserve. How do I know that? Because watch, the third thing. He says, he will, you'll see his character that will be revealed. He's going to give you four names here. Now Judah, which is where Jesus comes from, that's just an Old Testament. There's two kingdoms essentially set up in the Old Testament. You've got Judah and you've got Israel. Jesus comes out of Judah, and Israel always wants to be saved. And they, people always wondered if anything good could come out of Judah. And they were like, you know, nothing. It's kind of like, um, and forgive me for this if you're from Wyatt, right? But people always wonder, like, is anything good come out of Wyatt? And I'm like, I got some good friends from Wyatt. Like, hold on a second. They don't live there anymore, but they moved from there or whatever. And then some of you guys who live in Lakeville, you'd say, does anything good come out of Bremen, Right? Because you live in Lakeville. I know who you are, right? All right. And then some of us look at it and say, does anything good come out of Lakeville? All right? Because you guys are living up in South Bend, Mishawaka. You're like, we got a mate. We got Notre Dame football, and Mishawaka is South Bend. I don't care who you are. They're all together as one. I don't know if I'm in Mishawaka or South Bend. I've lived here seven years. I still can't decide. I'm on this line or this line. I'm in South Bend. All right? But does anything good come out of there? People wondered that. Anything good come out of Judah? Well, Jesus comes out of Judah. Not just does Jesus come out of Judah. Watch what he says. He gives you four things that come out of Judah that the people need because they're asking for a leader, one who is righteous. His name shall be called. And there's a lot to be said about a name, right? Think about my kids and your kids and even you. Your name means something. Your parents gave thought to why they named you what they named you. I mean, they gave some consideration. You're like, no, my mom and dad picked a name out in a book. At least they gave you a name. All right, so watch this. He says he's going to have four traits to him. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty God. He's going to be an everlasting father. And he's going to be the prince of peace. Now walk through those four things, because this is what everybody needs. 
Everybody needs in their life a wonderful counselor. Somebody who's not going to give them their own opinion, but going to give them something that they need, right? You guys have that one friend that always tells you the truth no matter what, and you're like, why are we friends? I don't get it. But they'll always tell you the truth. God will always tell you the truth no matter how hard it is to hear. You open up this book and you start reading from God's word, and I guarantee you that he will start conforming you to, your, to his image. He will tell you things that hurt, that don't make sense, but when we apply them to our everyday life, that wonderful counsel really starts to come true. And you go, man, he's right. He's always right. He's a wonderful counselor. Look at the second thing he says. He's mighty. He has power. He's greater than anybody else. He has more strength than anybody else has. He's able to do things. In our Sunday school class, we've been walking through Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 10. It's amazing. At the end of Joshua chapter 10, or it's in, kind of in the middle, essentially what happens is the Lord says he's going to fight for Joshua's army. This is fascinating to me because all of a sudden he just starts raining down like, like hailstones and these big rocks and all this other crazy stuff happens and Israel just kind of backs up and watches him go. It's amazing, but he's over creation is what we learn in Joshua chapter 10. Our God, the living God, is over creation. He's over all things. He's over all those situations and circumstances in your life that you feel like are out of control. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that he is working for the good of those who love him. Even when he tells us things that hurt, they still heal because he's a mighty God. He's full of strength. He's stronger than I am. He's able to give me things that I could never do by myself. He's an everlasting father. I will rule forever for eternity, and we will call him the Prince of Peace. In the world, there's no peace, but in Jesus Christ, there's wonderful peace. Every year, and you could pray for us because after church this morning, we're going to take our little kids to a symphony. <clears throat> and it's always interesting because, well, it's a symphony, right? And you can pray for me, too, because I'm your pastor. And that's just, <laughs> you guys know where I, I live there, you know? And uh, when I see a symphony, it's kind of fascinating to me. And those of you who don't know what a symphony is, a symphony is a bunch of instruments that are just brought together. And I know that's a horrible definition of it. I get that. And all of a sudden, you sit in the audience... And you see, like, all these instruments that are all coming together, and they're playing this beautiful music. Well, people think it's a beautiful music. I think it's a joyful noise unto the Lord. But, <clears throat> so, they're bringing this beautiful music. Now, watch this. There's a conductor who comes up. This is funny. He comes up, and everybody thinks the conductor's, like, awesome. And I've been going to symphonies for a long time. Bethany and I have been married for 10 years. And here comes this, this conductor, and he gets up on stage, and he's got this little stick, which I'm like, why do they give him a little stick? Can't have a big stick? I don't get it. So he gets this little stick. He stands up there, and he goes, Whoo! And all the people, like, raise up their instruments. I'm like, whoa, that little stick's got lots of power in it, right? I want one of those little sticks. I wonder if I could do that for church. Whoo! Right? So he stands up there or whatever, and he starts doing like this, and they go, Vroom! and they all play. And it's, it's amazing. It's powerful. So one time we were at a symphony. We're going to be there today, too. And I, I looked at Bethany, and I go, hey, Bethany, that conductor's kind of worthless, isn't he? She's like, Jordan, shh. I said, I don't, he doesn't make sense to me. I said, why, why is he there? I said, because if these musicians know the piece, like, do they really need him? I mean, do they really have to have him? She's like, well, to be honest, I'll talk to you about this when it's over. Okay, so after it was over, we had this conversation. And she said, essentially, no. The conductor does not have to be there. But the instruments have done so much work behind the scenes that it is a great honor for the conductor to be there for the final performance. And I started thinking about this because I had an epiphany. I said, that's Jesus. 
That's amazing to me. Like we're the church and everybody's got these individual gifts and all of a sudden Jesus comes in and he makes us essentially, or he helps us play together. He's a, what does it say? A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. He says, you have this gift, you go here. You have this gift, you go here. You have this gift, you go here. And we play beautiful music as we evangelize to those who are lost and edify or build up those who are found. And he says, what happens is when you do that, it's beautiful music and the churches are filled and you learn this word and you grow in it and you mature and you realize that my ways are better than your ways. And he's going like this with us. And we're all like, yeah, that's awesome. And then when he comes again, guess what? The wonderful conductor has the final performance, and it's beautiful, because we always look to him, because if we don't look at the conductor, we get off beat, and anytime the church has problems, or you have problems, or I have problems, or Isaiah had problems, or Israel had problems, or Judah had problems, you know what happened? They lowered their eyes and forgot to follow the conductor. They stopped. He says, these are the characteristics that he will have. And let me ask you a question just this morning as you prepare for the Christmas season. Who conducts your life? I mean, who has ultimate control? Who do you look to when you have problems? Is it this? Or is it yourself? Because that baby's not in the manger anymore, is he? Uh, he's, he's fully grown. Who conducts your life? Who has authority over it? Who do you follow? When you have a decision to make, who do you go to? Do you just think about it, ponder about it, think to yourself, hmm, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. How'd that work out? Or do you follow the conductor? The one who gives us peace, comfort. It's fascinating. He says, his character will be revealed. Watch, number four. Oh, I do have five. Sorry. Number four. I'll make them quick, I promise. Verse seven. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. Now, that's interesting to me. Uh, the fourth thing. He'll be seated, seated on da- David's throne. <clears throat> now, I'm going to pause for a second. You don't have to go here, but I'm going to go to the book of Daniel real quick. Daniel's another minor prophet, and he speaks to this in uh, Daniel chapter seven. <clears throat> Let me get there real quick. This is, this is neat. This is how Scripture kind of, we call this the harmonization of Scripture. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, uh, Daniel says, let me make sure I got this right, 14, excuse me. He says, and to him, he's talking about Jesus here, Daniel is, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel's given you the same thing that Isaiah has given you in regards to King Jesus, who will come from a kingdom line. Go home this week and read um, the Christmas story of how Jesus came to us. You'll see a long lineage, and you'll be tempted to skip over it because there's names in there that you don't understand. Now, in our 9 o'clock study, when we have names in the Old Testament, we just slur it and go fast, and we all nod our head in approval like, that sounds really good, right? Okay? So when you look at that, though, you'll be tempted as you read the Christmas story, and if you don't do this, you need to read the Christmas story every single year together as a family, out loud, okay? It's, it's huge. But what happens here is you'll see all this lineage. That lineage is important because it's the backbone of the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that Jesus came from David's line or lineage. He's showing us how he got here. It's important. 
It's like our ancestry. It's how we came from. We figure out if we need to change something in our lineage, like somebody has done something that we need to change, or we see that somebody's done something really well that we need to continue on with. So for example, let me put it in your own life. Some of you guys had parents who were really, really good parents. And so you look to your parents and you say, we want to continue that tradition, you know, kind of moving down to our kids. My mom and dad did a good job. I want to do a good job with my kids. And some of you look at it and you say, my mom and dad really weren't that great. And so what you look at is you say, we need to break some of those patterns and we need to change some of these things so that our kids will be impacted in a positive way. Well, that's good because what happens is in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and the gospel accounts, when it shows you Jesus' lineage, which all of them don't, just a few of them do, it's showing you that Jesus breaks every single chain of a bad king or somebody that went astray so that you and I and Israel and Isaiah and all of his people could be restored. So when you go through that, it's this person didn't really do a great job, but Jesus does. This person didn't do a really good job, but Jesus does. This person didn't really do a good job, but Jesus does. It shows how Jesus fills in the insignificancy of other people in that lineage. So it's huge. Don't pass over that. And as Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 9, when he says he will be on the throne of David over his kingdom, he's saying he'll be over all people to establish it and to uphold it forever. Because It's not the first advent that we look to. We remember that. It's the second advent that we look to that Jesus will come again. And he will be on the throne. And we back up and we look at all of those things that we just talked about. And so we ask, since Jesus is seated on David's throne, am I becoming like his character? Am I allowing him to rule in my life this child who came and will come again? It's it's amazing to me. This is why Jesus prays. Some of you guys know the passage of Scripture. Jesus is with his disciples, and his disciples look to him, and they say, Jesus, you pray a lot. And really, he doesn't. He just kind of breaks bread, and he just says, God, thanks for the food, and he moves on. A lot of Jesus' prayers are spent kind of by himself. Uh, But in the disciples, they hear him a little bit, and they're looking at him, and they say, Jesus, you pray a little different. Can you teach us how to pray? And his famous prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer. A lot of you know that. He says, thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done. It's Isaiah. It's exactly what he's saying. The kingdom, whose kingdom? The David kingdom that will rule and forever reign. It's so important. He says, that's what should come. It will come the second advent, forever reign. Number five. I can't believe I have five. All right, anyway. All right. Number five, last thing. With justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal, keyword there, zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The ambition of the Lord of hosts will do this. Essentially what he says is all this will be done in God's hand. There will be a kingdom for Israel. I'm reminded um, as I look to that last one, all this will be accomplished by the zeal of the Lord. I'm reminded of a will. And some of you guys might have a will, some of you guys might not have a will. Um, wills are important and they're huge uh, because essentially they dictate where the inheritance will go. Um, it's funny, anytime I've done a funeral or uh, had somebody that sat down and counseled with them, it always kind of gets interesting when we get to the reading of the will. Like, it's fascinating to me. 
there's sometimes there's real like turmoil. I mean, there's like all the kids are there and they're gathered around the table and I feel bad because most of the time the funeral director does it. Um, but he reads the will and I just pray while he reads that these people don't kill each other. <laughs> you know, because grandpa's coins are my coins and they're worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and Karen doesn't know what to do with those coins. And you're just like, oh man, right? And so, and then sometimes though when they read the will, um, there's a lot of harmony. Like people will say, that's what grandma wanted, you know, or that's what Uncle Rick wanted, or whatever the case is. This is essentially God's will to us. Did you know that? I don't know if you ever read the Bible that way. Uh, but this is God's will. What is God's will? What is the will or the zeal of the Lord Almighty that he would want to accomplish? The will that he has is to do a great and mighty work in you. Did you know that? That he has a plan and a purpose set out for you. And his first will is that you would know him, that you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he alone is Lord, that you would remove yourself from the throne and you would put Jesus on the throne. You'd allow him to be the great conductor. The second thing is that you would be used in a great way to essentially encourage or build up the church using your gifts and your abilities. And you use those things all until the day that Jesus will come again. It's fascinating to us of how much the season reminds us that we get caught up within ourselves and we forget God's will. That Christ would die and after his death, he would give us gifts. His son being the greatest one, but then secondly, after his son, the ability to accomplish his will here on earth. Maybe I would encourage you this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to take this season to remind somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's one of your friends. To sit down with them and ask, hey, do you mind if I read the Christmas story with you? This is a preparation of the fact that Jesus not only came, but that he is coming back again. Or maybe for you who don't know Jesus Christ, this is the opportunity to realize how much Jesus can change your life. It's not about the church you go to, although it helps. Bible says that we should be in fellowship with one another. It's not about how much money you give or don't give. It's not about how many gifts you put under the tree or gifts you didn't put under the tree. I would ask you, is Jesus, the baby, changed everything? So much so that you get to this season that you remember that Christ not only came, but he is coming again. It changes everything. It changes our outlook. It changes the people in Isaiah's outlook. It changes the church's outlook changes everything for us. Let me pray for you. God, as we gather here this morning in the awesome remembrance that Isaiah gives to us, we need to pause for just a second and allow the fact that you came to really impact us and change everything in our life. We're all at an impasse. Every one of us comes to a decision of whom we will follow. It happened in the Old Testament. It happens in the New Testament. We're confronted with a choice. Either we're going to follow after you, and we're going to allow you to lead us and guide us. We're going to acknowledge that we're a sinner. We're going to acknowledge that we've done things that are wrong in our life and that we need a Savior. We need somebody greater than ourselves. We need a counselor, a mighty God, a Prince of Peace. And we're going to allow that God who chose to dwell among us to do a great work in us. Or we're going to reject it. And as Isaiah tells us so clearly, so clearly, 
that you will come back again and you will rule over your people and over this world. And there won't be a chance to repent after that. When you come again, God, there won't be a chance for us to call upon the name of the Lord because that time has ceased. And so for those who don't know you, I pray that this morning they would accept you. Maybe for the first time. If that's you sitting in this pew, that's what community gospel is all about. That you would remove yourself from the situation. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I understand that there's distance between you and I. But I need a savior. Somebody who knows more than I do. Somebody that's willing to do more than I can do. Somebody that's already done so much. I confess right now, Jesus. And I believe in the fact that you came, that you died, that you rose again, and that you're coming back again too. The Bible says you should have peace that passes all understanding when you make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ this morning, may this be a time of remembrance. There's not a whole lot of application for us except for the knowledge that Jesus Christ came. God came to us. That should weigh heavy on our hearts. God, allow that to weigh heavy on our hearts. As we look this week with great anticipation to the remembrance of the fact that you came, would you allow us as your people to know that you're coming again? And we look at our tree and the presence underneath of it. Uh, allow us to remember that you've already given us the greatest gift that we need. And that we ask that you would restore us again. Give us great peace this year, God. To know that you're in control. To know that you're a wonderful counselor. A mighty God. One who takes care of us. One who loves us. Thank you so much for the ability to worship here freely this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.